Hi, Mage fans. This is your host, Terry Robinson, with Mage the Podcast. And joining me is friend of the show, knower of organizational dynamics, and general advocate for thinking about, even if not implementing anarchism and anarcho-syndicalism, Victor Kinzer. Victor, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited about this episode. I haven't dug in on organizational details this much in a game in a while. It, it was fun. When we switched to M20 and Adam and I are like, hey, we can't do a book every other week or we will die. And there just aren't enough M20 books and I needed to kind of fill out the slate. It is interesting, the slots that people kind of fell into where if it has to do with the cosmos and things that can eat you, I talk about it with Josh Heath. If it has to do with space or adjudicating storytelling questions, it goes to Charles Siegel. And if it has to do with like Bakunin or... <laughs> <laughs> the feminist critique of gaming and forward it's it's victor and i am very glad to have you in my corner for that the the title of the episode is the technocracy who's in control which is kind of meant as a play on words because one of the greatest compliments i ever received as a show host was from a listener who said after listening to mage the podcast i no longer feel comfortable saying well this edition says this at best i can say this one port part of this core rulebook for this edition says this and i'm like ah i've done my job if you could affect the life of one gamer it's worth it and we still love this glorious mess we are going to talk about kind of the history of the technocracy as presented in terms of what its leadership looks like and this is a case where kind of like it is hard to think of what America was like before the Civil War, I think we kind of take this version of control in the technocracy that emerged from late second edition, kind of through early revised, and just act like it was always that way. And that is that is far from the case. First, Basic definition, the technocratic union is one of the core factions in Mage the Ascension. It is in the 1E core rulebook. In the opening fiction, it's got attack helicopters and can control every TV on the face of the planet. And it is campy and glorious. And sometimes I miss the the, the dickens out of it. Across different editions, it has been this omnipresent pseudo-mystical technology cult to kind of a secret global police force, like a kind of a magical NATO, seemingly, keeping humanity safe while attempting to control science. There's also this much more Kafka-esque or Joseph Hellerite interpretation as it being this farce on bureaucracy. But as the editions of Mage change, the question of its effectiveness moves in and out. And one of the questions becomes, how is it presented and how is it organized? Because when I think of the technocracy, their centralization is one of the things that kind of keys them off. Victor, in early Mage, do you know like what ideas we got as to how the technocracy was kind of organized and activated? Yeah, so this was fascinating for me because I had not read first edition Mage since I was in high school. It was, I mean, I started with first edition Mage. That's where I began playing the game. I went back and I read it again. I have a nice, crisp, almost mint copy of first edition now, which is great. And I was amazed both at how much was there and how little was there. I mean, the actual game content is only like a couple pages when you get into like really describing the technocracy because it's a small book. It's got to cover a lot of topics. And the things that it set up, it definitely set up the pyramid, the pyramid sort of being the way you think about the organization of the technocracy with the vast majority of agents, unenlightened, 
I don't even think Extraordinary Citizen was an idea in first edition, but basically all the people that are sleeper agents at the bottom, and then a little bit above that, the agents in the know, and a little bit above that, the truly enlightened or awakened agents, and a little bit above that management. And it went all the way up to the inner circle, kind of the idea of the grand old men. Um, It also did, the first edition core book really did seed the order of reason. The term wasn't there. They didn't have the name, but they did trace the lineage all the way back to Copernicus and talk about, you know, that's when we started maybe older, of course, because everything was very unreliable narrator back then. But there were a couple ideas there in that original text that you really see how they eventually spin out into the order of reason. But the emphasis is really on these shadowy old men, this this shadow council that nobody can directly talk to. And it set up the idea of the timetable. Now, one thing that I noticed is the duration of any given timetable changed. I think at the beginning, it was 15 years, kind of the grand plan. Later, I saw five-year plans, which is interesting because that's what all the old communist states had were five-year plans at a time. I thought that was a really interesting shift. I don't think that was an accident, but it was very much kind of the the structure that we think of that's the default in my head. The bones of it were all there in first edition, but that's really all you had was the scaffolding. All the details were left up to you to make up on your own. I even went through and looked at the original convention books, and I think I looked at the publication dates for them relative to second edition, and I think there was only actually one convention book published before second edition. I want to say it was like Progenitors. Yeah, Progenitors. Maybe Void Engineers was technically written in parallel or a little bit before. Outside of the Book of Worlds, there's some interesting stuff in the Book of Worlds, but you kind of have to infer organization from it. Like Dark Side Moonbase exists, the Cop exists, Autochthonia exists. And you can kind of extrapolate what that might mean in terms of organization, but they don't paint the picture for you. It's very abstract. I was surprised at how abstract it was. So yeah, that's really all there is in first edition. There's not a ton. And then we kind of get into second edition. And in my head, this is the thing that shocked me. In my head, control, capital C control. That was always a thing, right? That had been around forever. No, control was not a thing for most of second edition. I went through the convention book or the the, uh, convention books. I looked for control. I thought the NWO is going to get into, you know, all this stuff. Iteration X will get into all this stuff because I remembered some like weird implications that the machine of Iteration X was control. I found a couple very light implications of that, but really it wasn't as strong as I remembered it being at all. And then we get control, bam, in the second edition of, uh, like the second edition book, Guide to the Technocracy. And the inner circle is still there. The, the grand old men exist, but now it's like, there's also control and what's their relationship. And it was all very unreliable narrator back then. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts about that and how it was introduced reading through the first edition stuff it is like reading the old testament while trying to blank out the new testament <laughs> it's yes. like how, how do i read this for what is in front of me and i think that is a very useful thing to do because it opens you up to a lot of ideas that maybe never came to fruition uh, my favorite one being the suggestion in one core that there are other traditions that form colleges and it just happens to be these nine that have formed this council 
and that there could be a bunch of others running around out there. And that suddenly explains, uh, gets rid of the idea that the Akashics represent all of Asia, where it's like, no, this is just the one that we have in this group so far. In 1E, we get, I think it is Iterator X, uh, Iteration X and Progenitors is kind of the first two. I didn't realize that the idea of, the com- of Iteration X being controlled by the computer was there like since the jump. We get the idea that Within each convention, there is a upper level that is very paranoid, very far-seeing, seemingly. And this is when, if you were a manager, if you were three or four rungs up, it wasn't unreasonable for you to have an arete between six and eight, which is something that we get from Luma Fate and uh, Chaos Factor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sam hate. <laughs> and you just had a six, seven, eight people running around doing stuff. And to me, those people are always al- almost always going to be weird and remote anyway. So we didn't need control because people had 30 dots and spheres, a retay of eight, and were just kind of batshit. Like they were their one person control. You read the original write-up of Decillion and he's already a strange remote guy. I do appreciate that the upper levels of the technocracy then, even in those early books, were pretty diverse in terms of gender and ethnicity, which was nice. Well, and I liked the write-up on the Grand Old Men because that's a very obvious exception to that. Even in the early write-ups of the Grand Old Men, it wasn't, this is the technocracy. It was, hey, this was formed during the Renaissance. These are the leaders that have been around since then, and they will not let go, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. I mean, it's it's left hanging. They never explicitly, like, call it out as unequal, but there's, like, just enough of a, this is why this is like this, and no, it's not the rest of the technocracy. And the idea that there could be a technocracy civil war to unseat those and free up the technocracy is kind of an mm-hmm. early implication of that. It also mirrors the fact that in Horizon Stronghold of Hope, we get some information about the traditions, and a lot of them are led by people who are four or five hundred years old. I think it, uh, the last member of the March of the Nine, I think Bernadette, winds up living the longest and is still around to the end of the 19th century. So it is nuts to me that the person who helped, who was there at the founding of the traditions, also saw the Victorian Reformation of the technocracy. My headcanon, she was a marauder by then, but still. could see it. And there's a lot of these interesting parallels. So my thing was there wasn't a control because each convention was kind of its own thing and they talked to each other across it, but it was very, not quite divisions within a company, but maybe a conglomerate that controls several smaller companies. Um, We get the idea that the progenitors mostly work with the iterate iterators. There is snarky internal politics between the two, but things are kind of done at arm's length. And the real work occurs between the methodologies. In the progenitor book, we get the idea that the facade engineers are working with the pharmacopoeists, are working with um, the other internal groups. And yeah, they reach out to the iterators, but it's not this tightly wound thing. In fact, we get the idea of the amalgam being multiple conventions, and it's kind of suggested that that is the exception. They get together once a month or whatever at a symposia, which is introduced early but not formally defined until Book of Mirrors, the storyteller guide, kind of indicating that each city has a symposia, and that is where the cross-group collaboration works. And under that setting, the technocracy is a collection of conventions that periodically coordinates on a regular schedule. And again, we don't really need control then. I do miss the throwaway that every major city on the face of the Earth has a geosynchronous horizon realm, so just this massive satellite of 
among every major city. And I'm like, <clears throat> again, sometimes that that stuff of like, I wish we, could, wish we could get that back. And yeah, it's just, we didn't need a control yet. Also because it wasn't a player facing thing. And because they were kind of the bad guys, we didn't need the space to have your fighter with your wizard, with your cleric, which you would get in mm-hmm. a technocracy game. That was always kind of a, a, a contrivance. But as you mentioned in Guide to Technocracy, control comes on the scene. And if I can, I have the paragraph that that describe that is I think our first mention of control. The real power in horizon constructs is far more intimidating. And again, this is the early emphasis between the war that's happening on the mud ball and the war of ideas that is being fought across horizon realms. It is known as control, the ghost in the machine, the collective that maintains order. Control represents the ranks of the technocracy above amalgams and symposiums. Uh, symposia was city level or, or like conurbation level. The individuals linked to it constantly change. So does its collective. Per- personality. It can see through the eyes of the watchers, observe through televisions and cameras of the front lines, speak and act as a collective through the walls of room 101, dissect any report before a symposium or manipulate any tech within its realm of influence. At any time, anywhere, control can intervene. Wow. Uh, What are your thoughts on that coming on the scene? So I have really weird feelings about control having, you know, just recently gone through from first edition forward. Because I think you're absolutely spot on about control being introduced in this first book that was meant to make the technocracy playable. I also, having now, you know, read through major portions of Guide to the Technocracy and then major portions of Technocracy Reloaded back to back, I suddenly feel like Guide to Technocracy didn't quite hit the mark. And that's not really a critique because it was the first attempt to transform this thing that in everyone's head was completely NPC fodder into PC fodder, wasn't going to be perfect the first time. But the thing I realize is control actually, to me, would have made more sense back before they were playable. Because what control ends up doing is it creates this situation like you have the running story about the void engineers maybe wanting to defect, you know. And then control is kind of part of the reason why they can't get out, which I see why that would have been put in place as soon as you maybe want to play them, coming up with a reason for everything to be held together. But in a way, it read as a sidestep of the hard work that ended up happening in the revised convention books to actually create believable justifications. I would much rather the Void Engineers not trust the rest of the technocracy, but never leave for the reasons laid out in their revised convention book. That spoke to me. And I think control as a potential antagonist, like a true, oh, you're a group of tradition mages, you're fighting the technocracy, you don't know how high this pyramid really goes. Like, that's fun. I think control would have been great back in the like purely villain phase. But I also think in the purely villain phase, there wasn't as much time put into no really how is the technocracy organized because you kind of didn't want to know. He wanted it to be shadowy. So I totally understand why control was introduced at the moment it was. I just think now that we've had several years with it and seen how the group has continued to grow and evolve, I like it more as like the truly antagonistic thing, the big reveal for the traditions. I don't love it as an actual organizational motivator. I, I kind of like the period where it was hidden away by the anomaly. I, I think that revealed a lot of good stuff. 
for the union. I think the big thing I like about it to just try and use it is the fact that sometimes the technocracy runs into problems where what would it mean in a game if they were the unalloyed good guys? And to me, that kind of breaks from mage. There needs to be at least overtures that this is an an organization that wants tyrannical control over the destiny of humanity for what they think are good reasons. This is not the Nefandi. They're not seeking global descent. They do genuinely feel and often act on the interest of protecting and shepherding sleepers. They just want to be able to control what we all think and believe, which at the end of the day is a strike to what I consider to be the soul of humanity. In a world where the chips are so thoroughly stacked against them, you can have good guy technocrats because them being in real power is so far away that uh, so the technocracy has a path to to a tomorrow they want if it's 10 steps i might agree personally with the first four and then the doctrinal arguments start likewise if the traditions were to emerge victorious somehow i would probably be fine with their first three or four steps but there's probably going to be a critical point where i'm like this is going too far so to me control allows you to maintain the themes of paranoia and control and lack of trust in the world of darkness while still running a technocracy game because to get that kind of bureaucratic horror without it being farce I think having this semi-mystical thing that within your own organization you are fighting against, it kind of gives another option to, ah, oh, it's secretly the Nefandi. So I think it does have that benefit. The problem is it is so baked in, it is hard to make that optional. Like I can see narratively it being useful, but it's one of those things where if you don't want to have that, it really feels like you're doing it wrong if you ignore it more so than some other structures. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. To get a little bit ahead into newer editions, though, I think the place where you can, you, you get some of the freedom to do that with control is the fact that no two books can agree on what the hell it is. Yes. It's the world of darkness and, and a little bit of inconsistency is expected, maybe intentional, sometimes unintentional. You know, it's fine. Unreliable narrator. But I've never seen it like Control, and I did a multi-year podcast on Changeling. Um, you know, every time I found Control reference, it was, it's the ghost in the machine. It's the, like, collaborative messenger of the grand old men. It is a self-emergent god. It is a spirit. It is the sentience that took over the machine. It is who knows what it is. I mean, every time. Sometimes it manifests. When I opened up M20... Again, I'd forgotten this was an M20 and they were like, it manifests as an old man. And I went, it what? <laughs> like, wait, it what? <laughs> you know, and so I think in terms of it being baked in, yeah, the idea is there for everybody. It's in the gestalt. But what is it? What is it actually doing? Is it just an interface for the grand old men and we can still play with the messy motivations of all of these people? Is it an amalgam of thousands of you know, technocrats that have merged with the machine in their great religious fervor, mostly Iteration X, but I couldn't find the book, but I know there's a reference out there to like some void engineers and the occasional progenitor doing that as well. What is it? What do you want it to be? I think that's hard for a lot of people. Like we talk a lot about making mage accessible. I think control is really fundamentally non-accessible as a storyteller, like, I'm going to look up what this thing is and then make it a surprise for my players. And you need to decide. 
on your own because the game will not help you. And the game has not gone full on. Here is the menu of five options. So let's before we get to what control could be, what did control seemingly do? Uh, Control seemed to have access between a lot of information and all information. We get the idea that it is capable of remotely listening, activating functions of devices the owners didn't know, triggering latent technologies that maybe exist within sleeper technology, and that being a surprise to the technocracy itself. I may be an iterator that specializes in electronics. Even I did not know in the 90s that my TV was watching me, say, for instance. Uh, Control has the ability to send communications. You can receive a missive from Control telling you to do something, or you sim- and, and the note is simply signed management or something similar. Control does not identify itself generally as Control. We do not get the idea that messages went down power chains, that it wasn't like a manager told an Armitage, told a um, a, a amalgam to do something. The message just comes from control. It is both massive scale and kind of intimate. It seems to have access to agents or entities that represent it and kind of do its bidding. Uh, for instance, we never got a named white suit in uh, Mage until, I believe, Revised, where we get like one reference to it. Control seems to have a parallel power structure that both issues directives that knows lower groups are following them, as well as seemingly having its own private force of some sort. We don't get the idea that Control sends you a message to take out another agent. We just find out that Control has taken out another agent through some means. We never get an interaction between Control and Tychoides of the Void Engineers, Control and Autochthonia, or Control and the Hyperintelligent Dolphins that clearly run the Progenitors, based on my reading of Revised. All of these entities are very powerful and should seemingly know about each other, and Control seems to, at some level, be the entity that wants to wipe out the traditions. Like, we get the idea that on a street level that the progenitor uh, drug dealers are interested in stopping the traditionalists in the area that are preventing them from selling drugs to kids and so on and so forth, but when it comes to kind of the full-scale war, we get the idea that that is maybe controlish. Now, mind you, this is something that as Victor and I were reading through for this, like it really comes out in the space between things. So it's hard to do it wrong. So that's kind of what control does. I think the only thing I would add there that all the things you talked about in terms of the direct interface with earth, that's a lot of why I think at one point, some people wanted the great machine to be control. Because if you read the revised iteration X convention book, the one truly revised convention book, because the other four were in a like a pseudo onyx path state. Iteration X was done before kind of White Wolf wrapped up the old world of darkness. It talks about the, it didn't call it the anomaly. It was the dimensional storm, I think they called it at that point. And the access that the great machine had to Earth and how it was extending its influence and why it wanted it and what it really was. It was very explicit about the spirit that was the machine and how and why it was manipulating everyone. It was a, a shocking like amount of, of not unreliable narrator, actually, in the writing style. But it read exactly like Control in terms of where it had influence, why it had influence, what its motivations were, but they never came out and said it. And then like it lost access to Earth at the exact moment that control disappears. And there's nowhere else in the canon that there's like 
a different entity that does any of the things you just described. And so it's just this really stark kind of obvious pattern that's never confirmed. And at the same time, I like it that way because I don't want the iterators to be right as it were. I don't like the idea necessarily of the technocracy just being controlled by this massive umbral spirit. I think it's a neat venue, but I don't necessarily want that to be the core case. And what the machine wants and what control wants seems to be a little bit different. Like the iterators want to merge with the machine in a way that most technocrats, most technocrats seemingly don't want to merge with control reading through things kind of what did control feel like to you like if you were to use uh, to describe the environment or ambiance from it I, I think for me the key thing was it is both remote and intimate it has no interest in what you're doing one day but then you notice a glint in your cell phone camera that you don't remember and it looks like your doorbell camera blinks at you or you get a weird message that says only attend to personal business on personal time. We never get a name. The closest we get is in Ascension. We get August Aleph, uh, one of my favorite NPCs in all of Mage, which is this hard to remember Ur general that immediately takes charge of any room they are in and has this kind of form of arcane where they are always presumed to be in charge of any military operation. Control never explains itself. Everything else in the technocracy is either a flex of power from a clear hierarchy, your manager says, just do it, or as a semi-scientific organization, everything is kind of justified, where you say, hey, based on this reports, this is what we think the success rate is, so on and so forth. And it doesn't seem to be a team player of any sort. And just that mix of paranoia, remoteness, and intimacy, it very much felt like Bentham's Panopticon, where you never know if it's watching. And that is interesting because that is within the technocracy. Like, even once you're inside, you can't do it. I'm reminded of the scene in 1984 where O'Brien turns off the view screen. He's like, at my level, you have these certain protections. I don't get the sense that the technocracy is like that at all. Like, there is no level at which you are exempt from control. No, I don't think there's any level where you're exempt from control. And I agree with you about control being an aesthetic, a sort of omnipresent feeling. And the one thing that I'm kind of sad about in the M20 era is I didn't get that feeling when control was acknowledged in the M20 books. That's very much, I'm going to say revised. I mean, technically Guide to the Technocracy is second edition, but it's the like the very, very end of second edition. So we'll say control's real arc is end of second edition through revised. And that's where you get that kind of aesthetic, oppressive feeling. And I, I think when we were first making technocrats playable, there was a big emphasis on, on that because yeah, they're playable. They're not like the, the unfathomable, you know, authoritarian antagonist. That You're not playing marauders. You're not playing drones. You're not playing autumn people. Yeah. But at the same time, all the themes that were baked in from their time, primarily as an antagonist, you couldn't just write all that out overnight. And as much as I do like a lot of the more the nuance that was brought to the technocracy in M20 in terms of like real motivations and real organizational structures and how are you actually going to navigate like this disciplinary like process that you've been thrown in, those details are usable and playable. They make the technocracy more accessible. I think control 
it kind of stands there and they don't quite know what to do with it in that more like livable, understandable technocracy. So they, sh- he shows up, I say he, because like shows up as a white haired old man, he's not as omnipresent. And I like him that way. I like them that way, whether or not it's a spiritual entity or, you know, I, I could see a situation where the people at the very top of the technocracy are like, we can't just give orders and expect people to follow them. John Courage is a thing, but we also don't kill John Courage because John Courage is useful. And the way you get John Courage to do what you want is by creating these other things that do not necessarily create the motivations they appear to want. And I think there's a really interesting take where control is a God form. And there's a really interesting take where control is a very useful lie that the grand old men perpetuate. And that can be really interesting, but it needs to be omnipresent and oppressive and intimidating to accomplish those things. And also if it's going to be that omnipresent and intimidating, if this is supposed to be a player facing faction, you need to make the mission of the technocracy so compelling or the job so rewarding that people are willing to put up with it. If if Mage is a game about personal freedom and it is a paranoid bureaucracy game, we have the question of, so why does it exist? Um, and it could be due to social processing, but I don't know. I don't kind of want to play that game. So let's go through like what some of the options for what control could be. The scenario judgment in the book Ascension posits the control as the gestalt entity of the old Maximi of the Order of Reason. They fused into one spiritual entity within the fortress of government in the High Umbra through a network of ancient viasilicoi, these giant pearl-like things that you could use to telepathically communicate with each other. They left their humanity behind and became the collective aspirations and fears of all the technocracy members that ever underwent social conditioning. Iterators are pledged to the computer instead. The void engineers were kept out through the intervention of Tychoides, and they are outside control's reach. And this is this is in some ways... Did you ever read the Dark Tower series by Stephen King? I did not. Okay. I know about it, but I have not read it. That no. book has a particular ending where Stephen King warns you away from it. Where he's like, don't read this ending. It's bad. I am bad at endings. But then you read the Stephen King ending and you're like, no, this is right. There's no other way this could have ended that made sense. And this to me is that interpretation where you're like, of course, everything is mage in mage is a fallout from a fight that started 500 years ago. Of course, control is going to be those entities that got the ball rolling because they were the great visionaries. And that vision in this version of mage is what keeps the world moving and then Uh, thematically, they eventually become defined by that ambition and lose their humanity. And that, to me, is the question that Revised posed at What Price Ascension. And I'm like, oh, man, that's that's actually pretty good. Yeah, I love that interpretation. I went back and I looked at that recently. And part of what I love about that interpretation is it gives you all of the weird, surreal, magical, fungible feelings of mage. But at the same time, like it's human hubris. It's you had these high ideals and you were going to give humanity tools and set them free and look at what you became. And after all this time of the slow fall of the order of reason and the rise of the precepts of, of Damien and the reorganizations, all of those things. And then you're like, nope, those original people have been pulling the strings. And it isn't even that this was their original vision. I don't need that. It's This is what they fell to. This is what stasis does. 
this is paradox. This is the entire mage paradigm. I think it it captures the mage character problems really, really nicely. So I I like that interpretation. I don't know that that works in all places as a storyteller. So I guess there are like two takes on it. From a narrative standpoint, I love it. I love it thematically. There are definitely places and stories where I would want control to be other things, but there are a lot of stories where that's a a great thing for control to be. Especially if it's the game where you've engaged with the meta plot, where you've kept relatively true to what's in the books, where you found these bits and bobs. Uh, we get the idea in Revise that there are kind of like hidden documents and the technocracy hides its own history in an interesting way. And that is another front of the internal politics, which I like. I just wish I had game systems and more of an idea of how to run that Orwellian game in the sense that he who controls the past controls the present. And yeah, it makes sense. I have a slightly more heroic interpretation. And to me, this ties into an eventual conversations that we that we will likely have about the disparates. And it's not that these people fell to hubris, but that their vision required them to lose all sense of self to make this happen. And that is all that also kind of feeds into the uh, ascension is the death of the self or at least the death of the ego that, yeah, you can ascend, but now you're going to become a hyper sentient organizational tool that lives within a pearl. And at the time, it probably seemed like the right choice. But starting here, you're like, why are you doing that to yourself, bro? Just uh, go out to brunch, have some fun with the friends. And I, I think that's that's kind of interesting. And like what other kinds of remoteness could we get from other people who just realize that there is no sacrifice too great towards the cause that they love? I also wanted to mention one thing I stumbled across when you were describing the the pearls I know that in this particular scenario, control is not the great machine. The void engineers are separate. But I just recently reread the cop write-up from Book of Worlds, the like first edition book that everyone loves that it exists, but no one actually like uses the details from it anymore. And the description of the Dyson Sphere includes these like pearls that surround the entire Dyson Sphere of the cop. And it just, that that connection, it may or may not even be real, but it does make me kind of wonder what are the void engineers really doing out there? Because the cop is in Alpha Centauri. I mean, the cop is nobody else can get to them. No one knows enough dimensional science, not even really the tradition masters who matter. Like the tradition masters that hit that level of I can move in deep space, they're over the technocracy. Like you never read about them still being invested in that fight if they leave, you know, into the deep umbra. I don't know where that that pondering ends, but it, it made me wonder what are they building out there really? I do like the idea though that control, if if Gaia is the manifestation of all of the drive of life on earth to live, that control is the drive of the cop to explore and the control is a way for the emergent intelligence of the biosphere of the cop to figure out how biology and humanity works in this very weird way. Yeah. My, my thought is the cop is far enough away that it is closer to the star squids of the Nefandi than to earth because whenever the cop faces a threat, it's because Cthulhu is going after its star. Um, and you're like that, that sentence tells you a lot about what the cop is up to. 
Uh, the second interpretation that popped up for me in the Guide to Technocracy, if you kind of ignore that first paragraph, it is brought up again later. And it is the idea that it is simply the council made of every technomancer above a certain level. And this can either be formal in that, I mean, one of the things we need to start from is the technocracy is hyper-connected. It is the one organization where you could send an email to everyone with a Retay 5. <laughs> Uh, like uh, translated into a functional game terms. I know in, in M20, we kind of dissociate a retay with rank directly. Uh, you kind of get a range, but like you can send out an email to every T4 in a way that's only visible to T4s because they have the social processing to do it. So the idea that it is actually just kind of this giant, kind of very powerful social network where people are jockeying for position, uh, it makes control active or at least semi-conscious. I could see something where when you are a T4 and you take an act as part of control, part of your social processing is you never remember taking that act. There is no record of it. You willfully did it. It wasn't subconscious. It was just unremembered. And you have a bit of software that pops up on your screen, your telephone or your VDAS or whatever it is you use to interface with it. And that is why control acts. And if it's dealing with things that are off world that are hard to communicate with and it has to wait to get a quorum, suddenly you have these people bipping and bopping across the horizon. They come back earthside, all of their data is transmitted back. And then control acts in this flurry of activity as it suddenly has consensus to act and deploy these resources. So here it is, it is what I will refer to as semi-conscious. It is made of people and it is humans acting and deliberating. They just have no memory of it. Or I guess you could say alternatively, they choose not to talk about it. But to me, the fact that it is so thoroughly the case that no one is recognizable as being part of control, there has to be something preventing that from happening. It's not just a big, it's not just a big secret. <laughs> And that was another interpretation to me that fell out of the guide to technocracy that the technocracy would be uniquely capable of. Almost the technocracy equivalent of a marauder conflux where your avatars just all kind of talk to each other and like trade notes and suddenly you have a new mission to kill this guy and this other person needs you to help track down some unicorn to toenail filings. You're not quite sure, but your avatar is really directing you that way. You're like, well, this has been pretty good to me so far. I may as well listen to him. I have so many thoughts about that. So the first, the first place my brain went is that would be a lot of fun. And I would spend a lot of time having my plot motivators in a chronicle where that was true, be the paradox effect of those collective workings where control says, go do this thing. I'm going to leave you agency. You're useful because you have agency and how you execute it, but that leaves room for paradox. So all these people do these things they don't remember it creates this distributed amalgamation of paradox that because of the arcane on these memories, et cetera, can't really be traced back to who did it. And there's like a whole story that unravels there, maybe of the traditions trying to hunt it down, probably less interesting because they're just going to like write it off as the technocracy is terrible. The more interesting thing is when someone in the technocracy notices it and they try to hunt it down. And who are these agents that need to be sent to room 101 because they're being sloppy, they're being messy. And like the onion peel that they pull back, that would be such an amazing story. The other thing that I couldn't help but think about is, you know, thinking about that distributed will, I, I almost want a story and like, I can't, I, I can't like tie up all the potential plot holes right now because the idea is just forming in my brain. But I almost want a story that when you join the technocracy, your avatar is grafted onto control. And control is an amalgamation of all of the avatars, not like fully subsumed. 
Again, human agency is important. It's necessary. It's the engine of innovation, but like connected just enough. And maybe it's not permanent. Maybe through reincarnation, you know, you have ways of escaping, but it'll still over lifetimes build a tendency towards coming back into that comfortable collection. Um, yeah. Slowly things start going towards questing or or static avatars or something like that. And, and to me, I really like that idea because it answers to me the weird asymmetry that if you view the factions as representing aspects of the metaphysical trinity, going Marauder is irreversible. Going Nefondi is irreversible-ish, at least. It really darn hard. Anything that is, anything where the reversal is at plot device level, I'm going to call it that. And this kind of gives you a technocracy that's like that, where even when you, and it make to me, it creates fascinating stories when you leave. That it's like, oh, okay, this iterator is free. We removed the chip in his brain. Oh, but wait, there's a chip in the avatar too. And this could either be a technical process. It could explain why social conditioning requires so many darn dots. And you're like, oh, why does... Why does social conditioning require spirit five or prime five? I'm personally of the opinion that prime should be the spirit, this the sphere of avatar stuff, kind of, just to kind of give it yeah. a little more things, um, among other reasons. And it gives you, in the same way that in your dreams, your avatar may talk to you, that when your avatar is dreaming, this it may get little bits from this Ur entity. And it could also explain the preternatural surety of the technocracy. Yeah. Uh, you and I, I think, are both Star Trek fans. And Voyager does this amazing exploration of what is it like to be part of a amalgamated entity in the form of the Borg. You have a character that is part of the cybernetic Ur consciousness that gets cut off. And oh man, what is it like losing that? And to me, that just allows us to tell fascinating stories of, no, this is why there are so few people that leave the technocracy. It really is comforting, literally at a metaphysical level. And my love of, of tragedy, like this is a little more changeling than mage, but my love of tragedy really makes me want to do use this plot point and say that the Victorian reorganization is kind of when the work to create this baby started. And I could see a scenario where, you know, the Electrodyne engineers left. And yeah, there were all the reasons that we know officially that they left, but also they were starting to see this happen. And maybe like even the virtual adapts when they left, it, it, they had to fight their way out of it. Maybe it had started. And I could see a scenario where the void engineers looked at it found out about the entire thing because there was the long, like the long plot point of, are they going to leave? Maybe they want to leave. They could go the way of, of the adepts and the etherites. And I, I love like appealing back the conspiracy story where you find out that they did know that this was happening. They found out they accepted it anyway, because the option was leaving the mud ball undefended. Like it, then it takes that agency. I don't want to take that agency away from them because I love that, but it takes it to another level of, of self-sacrifice, even though maybe only one or two engineers still alive today know that, I would just, I would have a lot of fun with that. That just. And so to take a step fo forward, before we get to the control is just a giant spirit, I think because it is the technocracy, we have two other interpretations that I thought were kind of interesting. One is the technocracy is the largest primal venture in the history of humanity. Control is the semi-conscious 
quintessence uh, effect of that much quintessence being essentially gathered and flowing through an organization that in some way it is a bureaucracy that is alive part of social conditioning is you lose a little bit of your personal quintessence and that almost literally fuels the technocracy and all of these i like when there's a weird other entity because it gives us plot points of somebody figuring out how to harness it someone creates a virus that allows you to remember the things you do as part of control or uh, enough time has happened since this uh, avatar touching entity that occurs during the reorg that the Akashiana and the Uthanatoi are noticing these little little marks on the soul as it were on the avatar that are like this is this is weird and being able to to inspect that but that the the technocracy is the largest primal venture in existence it is a 20 dot primal venture and when you just get that much quintessence in one spot things kind of happen. The other interpretation we get in M20 is that it could be an egregore or a tulpa. It is the result of everyone's will and desire, which is one of the early ways of presenting it. And I just like the idea that the foundation of the technocracy could wind up being chaos magic. <laughs> like like that to me has a, has a certain bit of irony. Are there any other uh, like weird versions like that before we get to it's just a numbral spirit? You've covered a lot of the ways of viewing that. The it's an emergent spirit, like not just a numbral spirit, but an emergent sentience, an emergent spirit of the organization of the union, maybe the collection of all of the the awakened wills. That's about as close to it's a numbral spirit as I like to get because it still leaves the origin of the agency with the actual mages. That's that's where I like things being. Um, and I think that it's really interesting and it gives you a place to manipulate it. It's just one more form of consensus. So the other nice thing about making it a primal venture is you then have characters that can have primal utility. And now there are some seeds of that having leaked out of the technocracy and like little hints that maybe a few people outside the technocracy are starting to understand that because you can only live in capitalism so long without taking notes. I like the doors that opens to seeing it and understanding it, maybe in a way that the technocracy didn't have to worry about until the last few decades because they were successful. Like this is a side effect of their paradigmatic success outside of their own membership. I think there are some really great stories there. The one that is one closer to that is, uh, that is closer to that umbral entity kind of, is that it is it is an algorithm, that it is, it is some weird merger of the machine plus the genetic computation of the progenitors plus it is being fed by every group and it is just kind of a master algorithm that maybe in some way has become semi-sentient but is interfaceable and I like that because it now becomes a case of the restriction on control is the information being fed to it. So there is now a war within the technocracy kind of subtly to selectively share information with the rest of the organization because control can only process what it can see. One of the books that has strangely most influenced my thinking about the technocracy is James Scott's Seeing Like a State. States require transparency. Governments need to know what's going on inside of them and frequently rearrange the polity to do that. If you go into an area where people historically do not have last names, the state needs some way to tell people apart. And now suddenly people have to have last names and addresses to be uniquely identifiable. And if you refuse to cede to that, in some way, the state has to bring on violence to cause a change. So within the technocracy, 
there are now research units that are being very selective with what they pass in because they are there is a way they want to influence the algorithm. They only share their successes. They only share selective information about reality deviance because uh, one group is like, hey, this particular group is kind of useful to us. We don't want to share that they accidentally killed a bunch of people in a gas main explosion. And now we have this much more cloak and dagger thing. Control is still not a er spirit of any sort, but it has massive informational processing. It also allows us to have um, kind of false positives, for lack of a better term, where your amalgam is just sent to investigate something weird that the algorithm cannot make sense of, or you get these almost um, God Machine Chronicle requests to, you need to dump 240 handmade paper boats into this fountain at 2 p.m. next Thursday. And you're like, what the dink? Uh, One of the recurring ideas I have is, I think there is a version of the technocracy that is very hard to tell apart at certain levels from what the mystics are doing. So I wouldn't be surprised in a a game if Cassandra Complex made made a very strange request like that, where it's like, hey, next Monday, you have to literally buy every soft pretzel in this neighborhood or something bad is going to happen. How do you know? Trust us, it's what the algorithm said. And if the algorithm has a good enough track record, people are going to listen to it. So without going full umbral spirit or something like that, that is an interpretation of control I have. I think that that maybe isn't as interesting in terms of like control being a, um, like what is control thinking about like the themes of it and it necessarily being profound, but where I do like it, I think it's better than most of the other options are the story and play dynamics it opens up. Because I think suddenly the idea that you're opening up, oh, it can be played. Yeah, there are the, um, I'll say good faith actors who are trying to play control a little bit because this is the game now. But I also think that creates a really interesting space for, you know, Avalon and uh, the Friends of Courage and these conspiracies within where maybe they are able to uncover even a little bit more what it is. And there, I would see them engaging, especially the masters or maybe even, you know, if you have some representation from these conspiracies all the way up into Archmaster, Grand Old Men sort of level, they'd be playing that game just at a ridiculous chess level, you know, 3D chess level kind of kind of place and it also gives a better place for control and the grand old men to both exist and it's not just control is our mouthpiece maybe it appears that way maybe that's some of why people think that because they're really good at controlling the inputs and therefore predicting the outputs but it's impossible to do it 100 because as soon as you want those outputs to show up on earth well you've opened yourself to paradox have a nice day The thing it really gives to me is the cloak and dagger game. I think one of the presumptions that I I get when I talk to a lot of mage fans is that the technocracy, everyone in the technocracy has access to almost all information within the technocracy. And it's like, well, how could the technocracy not just deal with all the vampires? Surely someone within it knows. I'm like, yes, someone knows, but they don't all have the clearance. And the five vampire experts disagree with each other and are jockeying for position. So now you have a fight with another amalgam to see who can capture the best reality deviant example because they want the algorithm to see their results and give them more funding in a particular way because it meets with this other agenda item that the group has. And it being an algorithm to me prevents it from being, well, I'm just going to use a mind effect on this guy. (laughs) So the idea that there is a sentience that is immune to mind and maybe everything except for the top levels of entropy, I think is also kind of a, a, an interesting place to go. Yeah. My, my big thought on that in terms of like, oh, why don't you just go out and destroy all of the vampires? I think 
having the control as algorithm approach makes that conundrum of why don't we kill the vampires make a lot more sense. And that kind of gets down to control appears at about the same time that the pogrom becomes an on hold kind of thing. Because for all of first edition and most of second edition, the pogrom was talked about in present tense. And all the reasons that the pogrom was uh, a messy plot point that maybe should have been thought out, thought out more aside from an in-world standpoint, the idea that the algorithm has woken up and the algorithm realizes, well, not even that the algorithm realizes. I think with people, you end up getting people that act on their principle. I have to be principled. I have to kill that vampire. It's a deviant. And it's because we have meaning. We have... Uh, ideas and symbolism and this idea of principles, but an algorithm is just, I just want an output. What are the inputs that give me my output? And killing that vampire in that place, knowing the things it's going to kill later and stop, that doesn't give me the output I want. And I can see all those pieces. And having control appear at the point in the, the history that it appears and the pogrom go on hold, those become really interesting official connected things if control is an algorithm. The last kind of class of them is that it is an entity. It is either an emergent intelligence that is composed of all the weird things, or it is that egregore that, or tulpa that has been wished into existence that has a direct agency, and it's out there somewhere. Either there is that control being the little old man that secretly can control everything, or it is a being of some sort that you can interface with. Another option is it could have been co-opted by an umbral lord or something like we have the idea of the computer or the machine controlling iteration X, which is just the spirit of tool use that was so vast that only once we found autochthonia could it coalesce into a being. Do you have thoughts on the technocracy as birthplace of new type of life? Like, uh, to me, there's an interpretation, uh, a political science interpretation that says uh, nation states are organisms. They consume things, they fight, they consume energy, they have agendas, and so on. And that is an interesting way to think about it. Uh, what do you think the pitfalls, perils, but also upside of, well, it's just a being of some sort kind of are? Yeah, so I think you kind of have two different scenarios there. There's technocracy as the birthplace of life. I'm okay with that. I like that mode. What I don't like is the, it's some pre-existing spirit. And not that I think that's necessarily bad. I think if I were running a mage game for a bunch of people that were new to mage, and I knew from talking to them that they didn't do really complicated, weird, surreal sort of storytelling. I might use that. It's just a spirit, you know, make the first take a little bit understandable. You know, I think I think there's a place for that. I think that it would resonate with certain people. But in my ideal state, with my ideal set of players that will take all of my ridiculous, complex BS that I <laughs> drop as a storyteller, I prefer within this domain the it's a spirit but the technocracy created it i just i want the origin to go back to the technocrats i always want the origin to be in their actions and their choices at some point even if they've locked themselves into an oppressive structure and that just has to do with you know my preferences and storytelling biases but i think if it's just like the spirit of tool use like especially in the iteration X convention book when it's like, it was a spirit that was in autochthonia 
And then they set up the computer and it took residence and it was, you know, self-preserving. And then it started absorbing technocrats. Like that's an interesting, chthonic, fun, short kind of techno horror story. But for me, it burns itself out quickly. Like the interest dries up pretty quickly in that scenario. Whereas, well, if we created this, what else can we create? That perpetuates, that continues forever. Every choice, if we get our agency back, we're back to the state we were in when we made this thing. Like that's never ending for me. And I just prefer the well that doesn't dry up. I also like the idea that one of the fundamental questions in artificial intelligence research is how do you, how the how the dink do you program an AI? Because it's real easy for you to be like, oh, I want to be the richest person. And, and you suddenly you're turned into gold or something like that. So one of the ideas is that a artificial superintelligence would need to have mode of discovery baked into it as to not immediately turn us all into paperclips. So the best question you could ask an AI is do what I would ask you to do if I knew better how to ask you what to do. And now you get into this game where like control is a thing and the avatar storm cut it off from the amalgams that were telling it what to do, where it had become seemingly homicidal. And now control is coming back online. And it was this weird gestalt organism created from everyone's hopes and dreams. And it's looking for guidance and either there is a a fight to figure out who gets to do that or your characters for whatever reason have to help nurture it back to its previous health you find this shard of control that has breaking broken off that is this uh technomantic spirit of some sort that you have to kind of train and educate and now you need to shepherd this baby intelligence as it becomes more and more powerful and if that's not a way for low-level characters to suddenly have access to great power but immediately see the consequences of it. I don't I don't know what is. The, the you have to shepherd an alien intelligence, I think is always an interesting direction to go, especially as an exercise to say, no, you explain to me players what is the technocracy and we'll see how it plays out when someone takes your literal words and and runs with it. But uh yeah, it just being a spirit out there just always feels like a kind of a boring answer unless it were to be some way in some way co-opting that. Uh, so what other interpretations do you feel there are, if any? I think we've hit all the major flavors of control, but I think there are a lot of little iterations on those ideas. I think especially the control is the will of the grand old men, which, you know, you kind of talked about, oh, they all just gave up their ego entirely and became this entity. That's one interpretation, and I, I love that for a lot of reasons, but I think there's another interpretation where they still exist as individual entities, but control is the amalgamation of their will. In the same way, that idea that a city-state is an organism. A city-state is an organism, you know, me as a resident of the city-state, my actions are part of the aggregate that comes together in the actions of the city-state I'm a part of, but I still have my own independent will. You know, that gets into the whole, the cells that make up your organs, et cetera. They're still individual cells. I think that taking that control is an amalgam of those maxime, but interpreting it a little differently. I think there are a lot of little flavors of that, that as a storyteller, it's important for you to decide, all right, one, am I telling a story where this matters? You know, that's, that's the other thing we have to talk about. This is like the slice of the meta plot where the question is, does it actually matter for your game? And there are games where it'll matter. There are games where you're like, I want to get these technocrats all the way to master level. I want them to peel the onion back. I want them to discover the big truths and drop jaws. And hey, if you've got the players for it and that's the story you want to tell, then maybe you do need to decide these things. Um, there's also a version of it where 
maybe they're just ad apps and maybe they're never going to figure it out, but I know it's a certain thing and that informs how I choose to have things show up. And that's just, you have an easier time planning that way. You know, the level of decision, the level of nuance here, it should have a real impact at your table that adds to your play. And I think this is, this is one of those areas, Mage has a lot of them, it could just be a really fun rabbit hole to spend forever climbing down. And then you're at a table and you're like, oh, what do I do with the last month of my life? <laughs> so yeah, I don't think there are any other like major categories of interpretation that I can think of, but I can think of lots of ways that I could tweak it to make it meaningful for particular stories I wanted to tell. And I don't think I'd use the same interpretation two chronicles in a row, if I'm honest. Um, I think the themes you want to tap are going to bring you to different truths for your particular campaign. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I, I think we've done a good overview of this. Victor, are there any projects that you're working on that you would like to share with people? Right now, I don't have a lot of projects ongoing. I've got a couple layout things that might be coming for the Storyteller's Vault, but finding time for them have been tricky. I'm still really trying to get that new look at the Dante book laid out. It's pretty much written. It's just finding the time to work up the new changeling layout templates that I'm I'm putting together and get everything in the file. So hopefully people will see that before too much longer. That's the big project I'm working on right now. Whenever that comes out, I look forward to coming up with a uh, justification for it and having you back on. Victor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's always great to be on the show. This has been Mage the Podcast, where if it turns out we're secretly an umbral spirit, I hope it's the spirit of something cool like Funyuns. Our control is made up of our executive producers, who include Buck Farmer, Oracle of a Technocracy that's actually three possums in a trench coat, Christopher Phillips, Oracle of a Technocracy that's actually just an internet message board given sentience, God help us all, Mikhail, Oracle of a Technocracy whose control is simply a copy of the video game control, Jay Widener, Oracle of a Technocracy that started on a dare and that just really got out of hand, and the crew of Erebus, Oracle of a Technocracy that's really just the friends we made along the way. I'd like to thank additional Inner Circle members of Alex, Alexia, Andrews S., Andrew Edelstein, Anon, Birdo, Blaze Hibbert, Boo, Boogers, 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 Brad of the Blue, Bryce Perry, Chris B., Daniel Cuppin, Daniel Scribner, Dan Svensson, David Roy, Dennis Osborne, Derek Semsek, Gargle Lenoir, George Laura, Guy Conan Stewart, Ia Bull, Jason Kennedy, Jason Vines, Jason W. Biggs, Jeff Brin, Jenna F., John Magnuson, Josh H., Joshua Heath, Kathleen Halperin, Leslie Weatherstone, Matthew Prohl, Michael Creedle, Michael Parker, Morgan Aron, Nathan Weaver, Nibero, Neil Patterson, Nikita Klamanov, Oliver Schindler, Patrick McNamara, Patrick Mulder, Puka G., Rachel Grace, Ralph Scheinhammer, Ricardo, Richard Bat Brewster, Robart the Robot, Rob H., Ryan Kennedy, Samuel Tobin, Stephen Carton, Thrice Great, William Connolly, William Martin, and Zach Rules. Our EP shout-out is to Ryan Kennedy. When I Google that name, I get an Instagram influencer and a Brazilian soccer player or footballer that lists their entire football career as well as all the nicknames they've gone, as well as numerous links to articles about their play performance. This article is listed as a stub, which makes me want to know, what more do you want from these people? If you're a person who indefatigably updates stubs for the category 1997 births, I have a question for you. What are you doing to stop the aggregate sweat being that's slowly coalescing in Prolific Park? If you got that joke, you were one of the chosen, and I thank you for listening through to the entire credits and remembering previous bad boat jokes I've made. Thanks, Ryan. If you super liked this episode or super didn't, drop us a line at matesthepodcast at gmail.com or at matesthepodcast on Twitter. We have a hop in Discord community at discord.me slash matesthepodcast. If you like us, please give us a review on the platform you're choosing and tell a friend about us. Also go to matesthepodcast.com for show notes and all of our previous shows. Now go change reality. Bye.